to the Daily Devotion. My name is Kevin. I'm the pastor of Christ Church Conway, a congregation of the Presbyterian Church in America here in Conway, Arkansas. The Daily Devotion is a time for us to be strengthened in our faith through the study of Scripture and theology. It's Sermon Sunday, so today we will post the sermon that was preached this morning at Christ Church Conway. If you have a Bible, I invite you to turn with me now to Mark chapter 6. We're going to look this morning at Mark chapter 6, verses 7 through 13. This is what the Word of God says. And he called the twelve and began to send them out two by two and gave them authority over the unclean spirits. He charged them to take nothing for their journey except a staff, no bread, no bag, no money in their belts, but to wear sandals and not put on two tunics. And he said to them, whenever you enter a house, stay there until you depart from there. And if any place will not receive you, and they will not listen to you, when you leave, shake off the dust that is on your feet as a testimony against them. So they went out and proclaimed that people should repent. And they cast out many demons and anointed with oil many who were sick and healed them. Most gracious Father, as we look once again at your word, I ask that you would strengthen us to believe your word, that you would strengthen us to hear in faith and so be transformed from one glory to another as we gaze ourselves upon the glory of Christ our Savior. In his name we pray. Amen. Well, if we go back to Mark chapter 3, verses 14 and 15, we read these words. And Jesus appointed twelve, whom he also named apostles, so that they might be with him and he might send them out to preach and have authority to cast out demons. And then in verses 16 and following, it names those twelve apostles. So kids, if you want to find the names of the apostles to write on your sheet, you can look at Mark 3, verse 16 and 17 and find the names there and fill them in as you like. This that we're looking at this morning is kind of the the second half of what was going on in that verse. First, he called the apostles to himself. And if you remember, when we talked about Mark chapter 3, we noted that their seminary training, if we want to call it that, was really all about being with Jesus. That was how they learned the gospel. That was how they learned who Jesus was and and learned about the truth of who God is by being with him. Now, he is sending them out to preach and to heal. He's sending them out, really, when we put this in the context of the rest of the story of, of the New Testament, he's sending them out to establish the church. That's what we see here in Mark chapter 6, is is the first bricks of what we think of as the church being established. Now, of course, being covenantal and all that, we would see the church established in the Old Testament, the church being the people of God. But here the foundation is being laid as the apostles go out and preach the gospel. And they go out, it says, with Jesus giving them authority. And there's a lot that's in this, but that's what we're going to kind of think about this morning is the fact that the apostles' ministry was built on the authority of Jesus that he gave them. This is a, a vital 
concept for us to understand because it determines so much about how we think of the church even now in 2021. So as we look at this, Jesus sends them out two by two. We don't know why. If you read the commentaries, there's all kinds of speculation. It might have been for protection. It might have been for accountability. It might have been for encouragement. We don't know why exactly they went out two by two, but that's how Jesus sent them out. And he gave them, it says, authority over unclean spirits. So here's what Jesus did. He shared with the apostles the authority that he had that has been on display throughout the last several chapters of the Gospel of Mark as Jesus went about healing people and casting out demons and even raising the dead. We see he shares this authority that belonged to him uniquely as the creator of the universe. He shares it with these 12 men. In the Gospel of Luke, we see that he shares this authority with the 72 that were sent out as well. But here we're focused on the apostles. And what we see from this is that their authority, any authority that the apostles had, they didn't have because of themselves. Their authority was derived exclusively and uniquely from Jesus Christ and nowhere else. And what's interesting about this is there's no higher authority from whom theirs could have been derived. Their authority didn't come from people hearing them and consenting. Their authority came from Jesus Christ. There would be places that they would go, and we will see this in a moment, where people wouldn't listen to them. And we'll see that even there, they have an authoritative proclamation to make about those people. This is important for us to understand, and we're going to apply this later in the sermon about how we think about the church now. But it's important for us to go ahead and begin laying this groundwork because we are absolutely punch drunk on this idea that authority and power comes from the consent of the governed. You learned all about that in ninth grade civics, or you will if you haven't gotten there yet. But what we see as it pertains to the authority of the church is that that simply isn't true. Even when, as we're going to see, people didn't consent to the apostles, they still had authority and still were able to make an authoritative declaration about those cities. The authority of the apostles isn't from the bottom up. It's not from the people that listen up. It's from the top down. It's from God. It's from Jesus Christ who gave them, who shared His authority with them to establish the foundation of the church through the proclamation of the gospel. We're going to come back to those ideas when we think about the church in particular, but first we need to see that the apostles' authority came from Christ. 
Then we see that his authority dictated how they were to minister. It wasn't just that they had authority because of him, but because the authority they had derived from Christ, that meant he got to determine how they ministered, what they did, even what they took with them when they went out two by two. Take nothing for your journey except a staff, no bread, no bag, no money in your belts. Wear sandals and don't put on two tunics. In other words, go with the clothes you're wearing and nothing else. That's how I want you to go out in my name. Now, there's, again, when we come to this, there's, there's not any particular reason for this given here. And commentators come up with all kinds of ideas. Some trace it back to how they were to eat the Passover meal with their staff in their hand and their sandals on their feet, kind of ready to go out. And, and there is, indeed, some correspondence between what the apostles here to take with them and what the Israelites were to wear when they were preparing to go out and into the wilderness and all of that. There is some correspondence there. Perhaps that's what's in view, but it's not clear that that's what's in view. I think what's going on here is Jesus wants them to understand two things. That in their ministry, they are utterly dependent on Him. We're safe in saying that because we see this idea repeated over and over throughout the New Testament in John 15 where Jesus talks about the vine and the branches. What does he say? Apart from me, you can do nothing. And so I think part of what's going on here is Jesus is sending his apostles out in such a way that they have to depend on him working through his people for everything. Take nothing with you except the clothes you're wearing, the staff in your hand, and go. I think the other thing that is happening here is that the people have to depend on the authority of Christ through the preached word rather than through the impressiveness of the apostles. In other words, the apostles weren't going to show up looking like much. It wouldn't take long traveling in the Middle East with no change of clothes and no supply of food and money. It wouldn't take long for you to start to look a little bit ragged if that was all you had and you were traveling by foot. You, you weren't showing up in a, a new Cadillac with your air conditioning blowing and your sweet suit. And you were, no, it wasn't like that at all. Quite frankly, if people showed up preaching the gospel looking like they would have looked, we probably wouldn't give them much mind. But I think that was part of the point. The authority that they had came from Christ, not anything about themselves. How often do we look at the man to decide whether what he has to say is worthwhile or not? Has it provided for him? Has what he's selling provided for him the kind of life I'm looking for? If it has, we'll listen to him. We'll hear what they have to say. Now, I know that 
you know, here in the Reformed world, we, you know, we're not into all the name it, claim it kind of stuff. I get that, right? We're, we don't do that. That's ridiculous. I also know, though, and not just from here, I've been in multiple PCA churches, right, so far in my life, as a member and as a staff member. And I also know that there's an odd consistency to who gets nominated as elder or who gets nominated as deacon. And so it might do some good for us to stop and, and think for a second, do we really, are we really looking at a man through spiritual lenses through the gospel lenses or or is there something else that we find impressive and i know when you when you show up to conferences it's not unheard of people that preach why because no one's going to come if 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 gospel coalition calls me and says kevin do you want to preach you want to be one of the keynote speakers no one's going to come but if they call a different Kevin, lots of people will show up. All kinds of people will come to hear him preach. Again, they're, they're, I wish they would. I daydream about it, which is probably why God won't ever let this happen. But they're not going to call me to preach at General Assembly. And if they did, that would be the smallest worship service in the history of General Assembly. Because no one would care. Who is this ordinary pastor guy showing? Like, no. Let's go grab a a nice dinner tonight. So we we like to decry this idea that we're not about the man. We, We don't look at that. But the reality is we do a little bit. It's human nature. And I think that's part of what's going on here. Jesus is sending his representatives out in such a way that the only thing they have to offer is Jesus. And they actually need you to provide for them everything else. Because they don't even have a change of clothes. They don't have any food. They don't have any money. They've got a walking stick a pair of sandals, and the clothes they're wearing. And Jesus. See, that's the question as these apostles go out. Is Jesus going to be enough? Is the one with whose authority we come going to be enough? And then Jesus also, in giving them authority, dictates how it is that they're to proceed. If some place receives you, stay there in that house and you know, don't move around. Just stay there and keep you know, ministering from there until it's time to move on. But if some place doesn't receive you, shake the, sandal, shake the dirt off your sandals and move on. And it says as a testimony against them. 
So here is what I was pointing to earlier, that it wasn't the consent of the people to listen to the apostles that gave the apostles authority. No, even when people didn't listen, they still had something authoritative to say. And it was, sorry about you, wrong decision there. We're moving on and we're taking this message of grace with us. We see this happen. This wasn't an uncommon practice throughout the ancient Near East to to shake the dust off your feet as you left some town as as a judgment on that town. We, We read about this in Acts that we read earlier. When the Jewish people kind of got the the ruling men and women to cause trouble for Paul and Barnabas, they left, they shook the dust off their feet and were like, got nothing else for you. We're moving on. Filled with joy because we're doing what God has called us to do. Finally, we see as they went out, they were to proclaim a particular message. Again, Jesus is authoritative even over the message of the church. And they were to proclaim, here we get it in shorthand, that they should repent. Earlier in Mark chapter 1, we we see the, the, the fuller version, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe for the kingdom of God is at hand. That was the message that the apostles had. Nothing else. Not I can give you a better life. Not I can help you out of this, that, or the other tough spot. Not here's a vision for the political system of the world. Nothing. Repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. That's all they had to say. Nothing else. Their job wasn't to come up with some message that would get people going or meet people where they are or meet their needs. No, no, no. Their job was to proclaim the kingdom of God. That was how they would set the foundation for the church. By proclaiming the kingdom of God. By calling people to Jesus. That's what they were to do. And then we see that in verse 13, going out with the authority of Christ, they were able to effectively minister. They did cast out demons. They did heal the sick. Just as an apologetic side note, again, we see here that a distinction is made between casting out demons and healing the sick. It's it's a false claim that skeptics sometimes make that, oh, they didn't know about medicine, so they just called it getting rid of demons. No, no, no. They are able to distinguish and we see it here. The point, though, that we're looking at is that because they went with the authority of Christ, their ministry was actually effective. They were able to do the works that Christ was doing for the same reason that Christ did those works, to confirm their message about the gospel. So just like with Christ, when people didn't believe, these things didn't happen. They shook the dust off their feet and left. But where faith was found, the grace, the mercy, the healing power of Christ was distributed even by the apostles. So what does this have to do with us as the church as we think about things now? Absolutely everything. Because what the apostles were doing is, as I've already said, is laying the foundation for the church. 
Christ, we're told in Ephesians 2, is the cornerstone, and the apostles and the prophets are the foundation, and the church is built on that foundation. So the authority continues to be the authority that derives from Christ. Where that cornerstone is, how that cornerstone is, determines everything. It determines not only the foundation, but the building that is built upon it. When a house is built, a foundation is set, and then the house, if it's built correctly, matches that foundation. And if it hangs off somewhere, there's a problem. And if the house doesn't fill up the foundation, there's a problem. You look at the house and you're like, well, what, what happened to this section of the house? Why is there a whole bit of foundation sticking out over here? Or why is this part of the house not on the foundation? And that causes problems. And in our house, we live in an old house and it's been added on to. And there's this one water pipe that sticks out of the foundation to get to the back bathroom shower. Guess which pipe in our house freezes all the time? That one. That one. You're exactly right, Bianca. That one. Why? Because it's not protected by the foundation and it's just exposed to all the elements. There's an analogy there for the church. When we decide to get creative and think, you know what we need to do? Yes, we understand we've got this foundation built around the cornerstone of Jesus that the apostles and the prophets have given to us. We understand that that the authority that we have is the ministry of the word and the administration of the sacraments. We understand what our job is, but wouldn't it be cool? If we built this extra room onto the church, wouldn't that help us better minister? If we had this extra room. And the answer is, well, no. It wouldn't. Because the message that we've been given, like the apostles, is very, very specific. The message that the church has been given is defined by the foundation that the apostles laid. The message that the church has been given that we get to herald is Jesus Christ died for the forgiveness of sins. That's what we get to say week after week. That's what this building is all about. The proclamation of the kingdom of God. That's what we have authority to say. That's why that's what we say repeatedly. That's why it's a serious problem when churches shift the message to anything else besides the proclamation of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the proclamation of the kingdom of God. And we shift it all the time. We shift it to politics. We shift it to felt needs. We shift it to to, let's build community. We, We shift it to all kinds of things. All kinds of things. We shift it to morals. We we shift it to any number of things. And when we do that, 
We're building a room onto the house that isn't actually supported by the foundation on which we are building. And it's going to cause a problem at some point. It might look cool. It might be attractive. It might do all kinds of things and serve all kinds of particular purposes. But it's not built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, which is the message of Jesus Christ. And it'll fall. And it'll fail. Give it time. So just like the apostles had a particular message based on the authority of the one given to them. So the church now, building on their foundation, has a particular message that we announce. That Jesus Christ is the Son of God and that He lived, died, and rose again in victory over sin and death and that by believing in Him, you may have life in His name. That's the message we have. There's another implication of this reality. And that is understanding where authority comes from in the church. Because again, it doesn't come from the bottom up. You'll hear that language a lot in our circles. And and when we're talking about Within the church itself, top down, you know, hierarchy, what, okay, sure, maybe that's helpful, but, but even there, I'm not totally sure how helpful it is. Because here's what has happened is, is we've so bought into this idea about the consent of the governed being what gives rulers authority that what we've done is we've made each of our individual consciences the ultimate authority for the church. But that has authority and the source of the authority in the wrong place. When our confession says that that we can't make rules to bind someone's conscience, it's not guarding your conscience as much as it's guarding the primacy of the Word of God, which is to bind your conscience. That's why the message of the church has to be right. Because if I start preaching something other than the word of God or start authoritatively trying to declare something other than the word of God, then we have a real problem. A real problem. And and this problem with with understanding the the, the consent of the government, what it has led to is, is the creation of what we now call congregational churches. I know that's a lot to say and flies in the face of a lot of things. And you know what? That's quite all right. Because that whole idea is built on the idea that, no, the authority of the elders comes from the people consenting to be governed by them. But that is unbiblical. You may ask, well, then why do we elect elders? Why aren't they just appointed? Well, let's think carefully about what's going on there. The election of an elder doesn't make someone an elder. That's simply the church recognizing, that's the the church as a body recognizing they meet the qualifications of an elder. What makes them an elder 
is the laying on of hands, the praying and the laying on of hands, the ordination of them, the conferring authority on them through the means of the church that God has put in place. That's what Paul tells Timothy. Use the gifts that were given to you through the laying on of hands. See, when we elect elders, we're not collectively consenting to be governed by them. We're recognizing they meet the biblical criteria and then they're ordained. And if they're not, they don't have any authority in the church. A man can pass all his exams, even as a teaching owner. You can show up to Presbytery and pass all of your exams with flying colors, not miss a single question. There be no question about anything in your life. You can be the perfect candidate. But if you are not ordained, you have no authority. You can even be called by a church and, and preach, but if you're not ordained, If that authority from above isn't conferred on you, you have no authority. We go wrong with this in two ways. As I've already said, we let our conscience be the authority. And that devolves into everybody's individual view having to be bowed to by the church. The other way that we go wrong in this, and, and, and I speak here now to, to Brent and to Jared and, and to Rob and to the, the men who are preparing for ministry, the other way we go wrong with this as leaders in the church is by fearing the individual conscience and submitting to it rather than speaking authoritatively with the voice we have been given through ordination from the word of God and leading the people. And we don't get to act like this problem only flows one way. I've been a minister long enough and I've worked with enough sessions to know what it is to fear the individual conscience. To know what it is to know if we say X or if we do Y, there's going to be hell to pay. And then the whole debate changes gears. See, we have to remember that though authority, that we have this derived authority, we are still but men. Fleshy and weak as they come. This is why we must remember that the authority that we have isn't based on us or in anyone's reception of anything we do or say, but on Jesus Christ. Because it's only then that we will be emboldened and strengthened by the Spirit of Christ to lead in accord with His Word. So we don't get to act like this problem only goes one way. It doesn't. But we do need to recognize what Scripture actually says about these issues. 
Jesus is the one with authority. And he shared that authority with the apostles who set the foundation in place on which we now build. So all authority is derived from Christ. We must remember this in in wielding that authority and in submitting to it. Because that's what we're called to. That's what we're called to. And it's good that this is how it works. And and I don't say that just as one who gets to stand up here and have the authority. No, no, no. That's not why it's good that this is how it works at all. It's good that this is how it works. Because this makes the whole thing, all of the gospel, the entire church, it makes something external to us that comes to us. Not the other way around. And that's the glory of the gospel, in part, is that it's something that comes authoritatively to us. Here's, if we go back to the passage in Acts, we see why this is so important. Notice what it says in verse 48. And when the Gentiles heard this, this authoritative message that the apostles were sent out to proclaim, they began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord, and as many as were appointed to eternal life believed. See, when the authority comes from the top down, through the apostles, to the church, through the church and out, what we find, is that the whole way through, it's God who is at work. It's God who is at work by His means to draw people to Himself according to His good, pleasing, and perfect, and sovereign, and gracious will. But if at any point, the authority were to flow the other way, then it all depends on us to use the right means and and to move people correctly and do all the right things to make stuff effective. But it doesn't. It doesn't depend on me. Because any authority that I have as a minister of the Word is derived from Christ that I proclaim and nothing else. And so the power of what I say, the effectiveness of my ministry, the effectiveness of our ministry as a church doesn't depend on us, but on the one in whose name we minister, who has authority over all heaven and all earth and will lose none that have been given to us. So this isn't some doctrine that just bolsters men who want to be heard by any stretch of the imagination. Understanding the authority of the church explains how ministry works. It's all from Christ. Apart from Him, we can do nothing. But by proclaiming Him, all who have been called for eternal life, will be saved. 
And we don't have to doubt the effectiveness of our ministry. But we carry on in faithfulness. Knowing that the authority comes from Christ. Not from us. And we rejoice with the apostles in that. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for this reminder of how Christ's authority determines a ministry. How it determines how we go out, how it determines what we say, how it determines the effectiveness of ministry. We thank you, Father, that it simply doesn't depend on us, but on Christ, who has all authority given to him. So, Father, would you teach us to build on the foundation the apostles and the prophets put in place around the cornerstone of Jesus Christ to not build off of it, but to faithfully proclaim Christ and Him crucified. In His name we pray. Amen.